Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, October 31st, 2021, and this is show number 860. Well, happy Halloween, everybody. The live chat room is a bit of a ghost town this week. See what I did there? Because everybody's off giving candy to the little monsters. But you know what? We're still having fun and we're still here. This week's Chit Chat Across the Pond will be an episode of Programming by Stealth, but it's actually not published just yet. It's a great episode, but Bart and I ran into some inconsistencies in the behavior of the examples as I ran them on on my system versus him running them on his, so we're trying to sort that out yet. The recording is finished, but we have to do some cleanup before we publish, so there's going to be a slight delay of game. I'm going to be, I'll update the show notes to this uh, episode to reflect it when it comes out, uh, probably will be tomorrow if nothing else goes wrong. This week, Steve and I took delivery of our 14-inch M1 Max Max, and we are both over the moon about them. I can't remember the last time I've been this excited about a new Mac. You know, each Mac I've gotten has been faster and niftier in a lot of ways than the one before, but I don't know, this one's different. In the past, I've upgraded every three years, so you would have thought the differences would be bigger, but this time it was only two, and yet the change to the M1 is just as amazing as everyone says it is. Now, I said before that I'm pretty superficial in that if a device doesn't look different, I have trouble noticing how much better it is. In this case, going from the 16-inch behemoth down to the 14-inch is a huge physical change, and I love it. In addition, the form factor is a throwback to the old PowerBook uh, days with a chunkier, kind of squared-off style. So my computer is thinner, lighter, and at most of the things I throw at it, way faster. So Steve and I decided to do the live show from our new Macs. Even as I speak, we are using macOS Monterey in its very first week on a brand new hardware design with a clean install of all of our software. Now, the software we use... (laughs) Steve is talking in the live chat room. That's helpful. Anyway, the software we use to mix the video and audio for the live show is called Mimo Live from Boink Software, and it's not actually released for M1 yet, so we're running a beta version. Basically, it's like we're juggling chainsaws and hand grenades on a tightrope 100 feet above a pit of very hungry crocodiles. What could possibly go wrong? But guess what? It's working beautifully. We did some test runs this afternoon, and for the first time ever, we saw zero frames dropped for the entire test. Now, normally this is an ever-increasing total, and you can see the choppiness of the video as a result, but not with these beasts. Steve's decked out 2017 27-inch iMac would struggle with the once-considered great Intel CPUs churning away in the high 90th percentile range, but his tiny 14-inch MacBook Pro has been running eh, around 35%. It's just cooking along. When Steve's uh, iMac was churning away like that, the fan noise was pretty noticeable. Surprisingly, the fans on Steve's 14-inch are also spinning up in this uh, operation. They're not terrible and definitely not feeding into his microphone, but it does appear they're getting a workout. It's possible the beta version of Mimo Live may be the cause because it might not be optimized yet. I'm just not really sure. This is our, our first time out. Now, you all know I was a big defender of 1Password when they switched over to being an Electron app, and I continue to think that wasn't a bad move. One of the main reasons I continue to support them on this is that their Electron app is really fast. On the M1 Max, it's a blink of an eye to launch, or maybe not even that long. You know, my eyes are closed when I'm blinking, so I'm not sure how long it actually takes. 
I mentioned that almost everything I throw at it at this M1 Max is really fast, but I got to tell you, most of the other Electron apps I'm running are just dog slow to launch, just as dog slow as they were on Intel. Discord, Slack, Git Kraken, and Visual Studio Code, they all take like five or six seconds to launch. I know that sounds like maybe I've got my schedule a little, little bit too tight if I can't wait that long, but it's an eternity when you're waiting to get to work. Now, I'm sure I'll have more to say over time about the new Max Max, but as David Roth put it so eloquently in a text to me about his new 14-inch M1 Max Max, I'm head over heels in love. This week's tiny tip comes from Helma from the Netherlands, and it's actually several tips. She sent me an email recently and agreed to be okay if I elaborated on it for all of you. Her opening line was, Did you know that the path bar in the Finder is more than just a visual display of where your current directory is located? So before we dig into her tips about what you can do with the path bar, let's make sure everybody has it turned on. In the Finder, go to the View menu and choose Show Path Bar, or you can hit Command Option P to toggle it on and off, or off and on in this case. At the bottom of every window, you should be able to see the full path to your location in the Finder, shown quite visually starting with an icon for your drive. One of my checklist items after a nuke and pave, or like I did this week, a pave, is to turn the path bar on because I, I often use it to make sure I know where I am. But I did not know how much you could actually do with the path bar. So tip number one, Helm explained that you can change directory higher in the path, that is closer to your root, by simply double-clicking on the upper level directory name. At the top of every finder window is your current directory name, and I've been command-clicking on that to get a drop-down of my path and then clicking on the upper level directory. All this time, the path bar has been right in front of me, where, as Helma says, a simple double-click does the navigation up the tree for me. This is positively brilliant. Now, Helma also uses the path bar to move a file up the directory structure. She gave an example use case for this action. If you open a zip file, you almost always want the files at the same level where you save the zip file, but they end up in a directory one level deeper. Now you can simply select all of the files in the unzipped folder and drag them onto the next directory up in your path bar. That's a brilliant way to do it. Now, Helma's second tip with the path bar is a bit nerdier, but it's very helpful for people who are newer to using the terminal. In terminal, you use the cd command to change directory. But typing in directory names is tedious and time-consuming and has some really tricky bits to how they must be formatted. If you come from a, few, a pure finder view of the world and you're new to the terminal, you probably have spaces in the names of your folders, because why wouldn't you? The terminal doesn't like spaces, so you have to escape them. Now, escaping something means to put another character in that tells the command to skip the next character, that is, skip the space that it doesn't want to have. In the terminal, we use the backslash character to escape spaces. So that's a lot of words around this. Let me make it real simple. If you had a directory called my stuff, my space stuff, in the terminal, you would have to type cd space my backslash space stuff for the terminal to understand what you mean. You can imagine how long and complicated this can get if you need to change to a directory that's buried really deep in your file system. So to make this easier, Helma suggested typing cd in the terminal, and then in the finder, navigate to the directory you desire and simply drag the icon for the directory from the path bar into terminal. This action will automatically type in the entire path and escape any spaces in that path name. 
I've been using a form of this, but not with the path bar. Bart taught us ages ago about the proxy icon in Finder windows. Proxy icons are the little graphic at the top of every Finder window next to the name of the directory you're in. At least there used to be a little icon there before macOS Big Sur came along. Because Apple is often obsessive about simplicity over function, they decided to auto-hide the proxy icon on us. If you really, truly want to see the proxy icon, you have to hover over the directory name and wait for it to appear. We already talked about how tight my schedule is. I can't be waiting for it to appear. Or you can actually click and force it to appear, and then you can click again to drag that into the terminal. Now, it's super aggravating, and I was really hoping they would have changed it back in macOS Monterey, but they did not. Now, Helma has revealed that the directory name is right there in our path bar, waiting to be dragged anywhere we like. There's no waiting, there's no hovering, there's no extra click. Just select the directory name in the path and drag it into the terminal window. It's wonderful. Now, another place for dragging the directory name, if you're not nerdy enough to be using the terminal yet, is in Save As dialog boxes. How many times have you had the correct folder open in Finder, but you go to save a file from an application and it's defaulted to some different location? You can simply drag the directory name right out of the path bar onto the Save As dialog box and it will instantly change the save location to the one you dragged in. I use this all day long. The bottom line is I'm really glad Helma sent in these tips on what you can do with the path bar. I've been so annoyed by the disappearing act of the proxy icon in recent versions of macOS, and now I can simply ignore it completely. Within a few days of learning this from Helma, my muscle memory was retrained to go to the bottom of the window instead of the top when I needed to do any kind of directory navigation. Thank you, Helma. What a great set of tips. Longtime no Silicastway John Schaffer wrote in what he called a dumb question a few weeks ago that actually caught me by surprise. He told me that the VPN service Encrypt.me was combining with one called StrongVPN. He wondered how the change was going to affect the commitment to privacy and security. Well, I've been using Encrypt.me since it was called Cloak, so for at least 15 years, and I've been a big proponent of it on the podcast, and I know a lot of you have started using it because I said such great things about it. Now, my loyalty to Encrypt.me is so strong that for the roughly 18 months I didn't even leave my house, I kept paying for Encrypt.me because I wanted them to stay in business and still be around when I poked my nose out the front door for the first time. This news from John that they'd combined with StrongVPN was news to me, and like John, I was very interested in the future of this product. I made some inquiries, and I engaged in a video teleconference with two representatives for StrongVPN. I spoke to Sabu Sathanu, VP of Consumer Product Strategy, and Ariona Aslani, VPN Product Management and Product Marketing. They each brought different perspectives that provided a good background on what has happened so far and where they see the future product development going. Now, before I get into any details of the future, the main takeaway from our conversation is that Encrypt will stay in place for current customers for the foreseeable future, but new customers will be directed towards strong VPN. I believe they really will keep Encrypt around for a fairly long time, and I'll elaborate on why I believe them on that. The biggest thing I didn't understand coming into this blind is that there have been a lot of mergers and acquisitions over time in these products. I didn't know, for example, that Encrypt had been bought by J2 Global over two years ago. Cebu described a series of VPN-owning company mergers, and I won't even attempt to replicate how we got here, but J2 Global just changed its name 
to Ziff Davis. Yeah, that Ziff Davis. I put a link in the show notes if you want to read all of everything that's gone on with these mergers. Now that we have a name for the company that owns Encrypt, I can explain why you care and if you care about Encrypt. Ziff Davis now has a portfolio of VPN tools with an array of capabilities from end users who simply want to protect their web traffic when in a coffee shop to higher level capabilities such as threat intelligence and analysis, security and backup for businesses, and more. Cebu emphasized that they're all about privacy and security. I think at this point, John's original question about whether the new stewards of Encrypt would continue the commitment to security and privacy was definitely answered. Now, I asked Cebu whether we could end up in a situation like what Dropbox did to its customers. You know, Dropbox won the internet's love by letting us store our data in a cloud service that synced all of our devices. But then they got more aspirational and they started trying to force more capabilities on us, creating a bloated app and providing services many of us didn't need or want. Well, Cebu had a great answer. He explained that while they will be consolidating their end-user VPN tools from three down to one, they are committed to serving this specific market while advancing their broader tools for the business customers. Now, the three VPN tools they own now are Encrypt, IPVanish, and StrongVPN. Cebu explained these three brands. IPVanish is for the home user looking for a highly customizable and powerful VPN brand. StrongVPN is for a more technical home user. And Encrypt is for the home user who's looking for a set-it-and-forget-it option. Now, the next part of the conversation is what gave me hope as an Encrypt user. Cebu explained that Encrypt has an incredibly loyal user base, and he said, and this is the most important thing he said to me, it's a very lucrative user base. So they want to make sure they don't do anything to lose those customers. You know, they can say all the nice words, but when they say it's lucrative, you know they're going to do the work. Well, at least you hope so. Their long-term goal is to learn from the Encrypt customers what it is about the tool that keeps them so loyal and then build those features into StrongVPN. Only when StrongVPN can provide what the Encrypt users need will they start any kind of migration effort to StrongVPN. I don't think this is going to be anytime soon because they said StrongVPN had had no new development in four years. That kind of gave me pause. The best part of the call was when Cebu and Ariona asked me to talk about why I'm so loyal to Encrypt and what I find important about it. They really wanted to know. I explained that the main reason I've been a longtime user is that it's set it and forget it. I walk into a hotel in Nepal and my iPhone, Mac, and iPad all turn on Encrypt automatically. Just like a good backup strategy has to be automatic, I think so does a good VPN tool. If you have to remember to turn it on, yeah, you're going to have some escapes there. I also said that a critical feature of Encrypt was the ability to add networks to be trusted. When I go to a tech-savvy tech grandma's house, I know I can trust her network, and Encrypt lets me set that up so I'm not going through a VPN when I'm visiting her. Once I tell Encrypt to trust her network, I don't have to take any action the next time I visit. I asked them I'd like to see what strong VPN looks like. Ariona demonstrated strong VPN on her PC and her iPhone. StrongVPN also runs on Android and the Mac and on an iPad. It even runs on a Fire TV stick. If you're comfortable setting up OpenVPN with Linux, you can run StrongVPN with that as well. Ariona gave me a license for StrongVPN, and I tested it for a while on my Mac and on iOS. The main interface is quite simple. It shows a flattened globe, a country icon over your location, and you can choose a server location or best available server and hit connect. You can see your IP address changed and the time elapsed since you've been connected. 
It's that easy to use. If you only go that deep into strong VPN, you don't have to worry your pretty little head about anything else. But if you go into preferences, it immediately gets geeky. It's got a section under OpenVPN slash L2TP, which I've heard of, but I don't understand. You can select IPv6 leak protection, and there's a kill switch. Kind of wanted to click it just to see what would happen, but I chickened out. It gets even deeper on the advanced tab where it talks about IKEV2 and IPsec and more. You can set it to launch at login and connect at launch, but on macOS, StrongVPN doesn't have a way to save certain networks as safe places where it doesn't need to launch, so tech-savvy grandma's network would always be protected. On iOS, however, buried in a very oddly named setting, you can tell it what networks to trust. I knew it was in the settings somewhere, but I actually had to ask Ariona where it was. It's inside on-demand settings. By default, when you go into on-demand settings, you simply have a toggle to connect automatically to strong VPN. That's the set it and forget it menu that's my primary requirement. I never would have guessed, though, that this is where I tell it to trust networks because the menu never mentions anything about that feature. Only once you toggle connect on demand will two new options reveal themselves. You can now choose to trust cellular networks, which is a good switch to have if you don't think you can trust your ISP to not sniff your networks. Below that, you'll now see the option to add Wi-Fi networks you trust. This checks the box for my second requirement, but it's not as easy as with Encrypt. On Encrypt, you'll see a list of all the, of the Wi-Fi networks you've trusted in the past and the one you're currently connected to is at the top. It even slides itself a little to the left uh, just to invite you to pick it as the network to trust. With StrongVPN, you have to type in the name of the network. I know that's not a huge deal, but it's a bit tedious sometimes to exactly transcribe a network name with capitalization and spaces and such. Why not just have it be something you can click? I tested adding my home network, WhiteDart, as a trusted network to StrongVPN, and for some reason, StrongVPN took that as a signal to protect my traffic rather than allowing it. I tried disconnecting StrongVPN, and I got a pop-up telling me that disconnection from the VPN will disable my on-demand settings. So either I completely misunderstand how this works, or I've run into a bug. Either way, as both Cebu and Ariona explained, StrongVPN is not ready for the Encrypt users to embrace. I'm very glad they're not going to uh, disrupt Encrypt until StrongVPN is ready. Now, the good news is that Ariona's team wants to hear from you on what you like about Encrypt to help her team drive the changes to StrongVPN to get it ready for us. She gave me an email address for users to send in their feedback directly to the team, so I hope if you're willing to help, you'll write to them at the link I've provided in the show notes. The bottom line is that I think you'll be fine running Encrypt.me for quite a long time, as they're just now gathering their strategy on how to proceed. You do have the opportunity to guide them in their decisions as well. With all that said, when a product has been declared end of active development, I really like to move to a new product on my own schedule rather than wait until I have to make a choice in a hurry. Encrypt isn't abandonware, but it's also not going to be enhanced, and it will be quite some time before StrongVPN will be enhanced to be good enough for Encrypt users to migrate to it. I was very encouraged by my conversation with the new team members stewarding this product, but it might be time to see what else is out there that could meet your needs. If you have a VPN service that you like that provides uh, cross-platform capabilities, has set it and forget it, and allows you to trust networks so you don't have to worry about it, I would very much like to hear some reviews of the tools that you guys find useful. 
As we continue to honor the longtime patrons of the Podfeet podcast, I'd like to throw a special shout out to this next batch of fine folks who've been supporting the show for four long years. We've got Paul Markham, Raleigh Bernard, John Holler, Tim Jar, Rick Cartwright, Stephen Ewell, Jens Judge, and Terry Austin, Mike Price, and Bruce Wilson. All of you fine people have made this show possible, and I thank you for four full years worth. Now, if you'd like to be find people like them, please head over to podfeet.com slash Patreon and show your support in a financial way. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchotts. How are you doing today, Bart? Uh, do you want an honest answer or a tactful answer? <laughs> Well, you can tell people what you're dealing with. I think people like to know how we're doing for real. Yeah, so I'm not allowed to cycle for a week. I'm not allowed to do any proper walking, just quote unquote light walking on a level surface. Uh, I'm not used to being Ugh. passed on foot. I'm used to being the fastest on the pavement. And now I am, I, I, I'm with the pensioners. Um, <laughs> and as best as I can tell, I'm not 100% sure, but about two weeks ago, I walked into the open door of the dishwasher very hard, made some amazingly creative non-Boy Scout safe noises, um, and thought I got away with it. But very slowly over time, instead of getting better, my leg has been getting worse. And then it went from, you know, slowly worse to, okay, that wasn't like that yesterday. Um, so. Aww. I got to discover that my uh, health insurance pays for a private accident and emergency clinic that isn't fully backed up, which is a relief because everything else in this country is. I, ra- I rang my doctor. Yeah, we can see you next week. <laughs> That's no good. <laughs> it hurts really bad right now. Yeah, and I'm worried because at the time I hadn't put two and two together. It, it, it Only after a lot of thinking did I connect it to the dishwasher, but... When the doctor did that whole thing where they pushed, does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? They're like, oh, yeah, there. It was like exactly oh. at the point in the shin where I walloped it. So, yeah, I've never heard of a soft tissue damage getting worse like that. Uh, but uh, I hope it's I, nothing more than that. As, as the doctor put it, you active people do yourselves all kinds of injuries. You aggravate all sorts <laughs> of things. This is the first time a doctor has told me to be less active. <laughs> well, and the worst part is you don't even have a good story. Like I was hit by a truck. No, you I have, have that one say, already. <laughs> I, I, I kicked a, I kicked a dishwasher. Right? It's just honest. It, there's no give on it, right? When the door is down and you walk into the oh, side yeah. of it, it doesn't move. Like it is the most immovable object. Yeah, actually, for uh, when you're designing things for strength in in bending, that's exactly how, if you don't want it to bend, that's how you would shape it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it way. doesn't. It, there's no give in them at all. Yeah. Anyway, well, I, I can swear from quite a woman who broke, I discovered from a woman who broke her foot playing volleyball. Uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> Land on it wrong. Ah. It's like didn't even. It wasn't even like I was spiking the ball, and you know, I almost burst into flames. Uh, you know, it was just. I just stepped on it wrong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you feel better soon, but uh, let's do some security stuff, shall we? Indeed we shall. Uh, lots of follow-ups of ongoing stuff. Um, so I was very skeptical last time that the story about the UK Ring Video doorbell case was complete. I was pretty sure there was more to it than just Ring doorbells are illegal in the UK. I was correct. There's a lot more to it than that. 
and the full judgment is 49 pages for a reason. It's complicated. And yes, a ring doorbell... No, not a ring doorbell. Many ring doorbells combined with ring spotlight cameras combined with threats combined with harassment resulted in this person getting in trouble. The doorbell was really just a part of the means of the problem. Okay, okay. So it's not just that a doorbell was recording looking in a direction. No, it was that they were threatening the person with the camera. They then lied and pretended they were fake cameras. They uh, threatened the person in all sorts of ways. Yeah, there was so much more going on. Okay. So... Yeah. As I say, uh, listener John sent a fantastic YouTube video from someone called a black belt barrister who has a fantastic British accent. So I I believed him. Um, (laughs) He also seemed to know all the right words and was able to literally cite chapter and verse of the statute book. So he went through the judgment piece by piece and pointed out which bits are important to know and which bits are very specific to this case. Bottom line, best to talk to your neighbours. And hypothetically, if your neighbours object, you may be forced to point the camera only onto your property and not onto the street because under UK law, sorry, not into someone else's property. Street is fine Mm. because that's public, but someone else's next property over isn't. Oh, interesting. Well, there's property right on the other side of my street. Yeah. So hypothetically, if you're in the UK and if the person objected, then they could ask you to angle it down. Hypothetically, okay. but it's basically the bottom line is just talk to your neighbors and don't lie. Don't be a jerk and yeah, don't threaten pretty much. people. Oh, those. <laughs> don't be that guy. That, that's kind of what it boils down to. And it was a guy, so I can say that without uh, prejudice. So yeah, th- okay. thanks, John, for sending it on. It was uh, it was actually very interesting because I, I knew there was more to it and I was glad to be right. Um, So Apple's ad changes have had a markedly mixed impact on social media companies <laughs> because of course markedly mixed yeah i like it i like alliteration um this is this is the ad tracking transparency stuff indeed it is so it is now back to that time of year where we get quarterly earnings calls and so everyone is obviously watching the earnings call of the social media companies now that we've had another three months of no wait four months a quarter yeah four months no wait three months no three months oh i can't divide so is hard. the first one to report was Snap. And they basically said, oh, yeah, this really hurt our ads. And their shares went careening down by 25%, which sort of set the bar a bit. Well, actually, their, their shares plummeted uh, 25%. I don't know if, did their ads also go down 25%? They, the reason the shares plummeted was because they said their ad revenue went right down. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was just the number I was kind of, your notes say it's the shares that went 25%. It, yes, that's what I thought I had said. But that's certainly what I meant to say. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. So not, not a good day. That set the bar then. And everyone was then very nervous when it came to, well, what about Facebook and Google and Twitter? Well, Google actually managed to increase revenue. And while their guidance for next quarter is like, yeah, maybe wait and see. They're, they're not prepared mm. to say no problem, but there's no sign of a problem yet. And there's, they're basically telling shareholders, we're not promising you we're fine, but we're probably fine. And uh, Twitter uh, and Facebook were affected, but less than they had guided previously. So they had told investors to expect a big hit and they got a small hit. So all in all, those three companies went pretty well. 
So something about Snap's business model is different to the others' business model. In Google's case, I think they don't really depend on tracking between ad, ad between properties as much, right? Since Google have your email, yeah. they have your maps, they have your search. They already <laughs> have already everything. everything they need. Yeah. Um, so I, this is something I don't understand. So we're with ad tracking transparency. People get asked, "Do you want to? Do you want to uh, allow these apps to track you?" Uh, apparently, from what I've heard, fourteen percent of people said yes, you can track me, and the other eighty-six percent said no. It's That's a number I heard. It's cross-app tracking is what's yes. protected, not yes. tracking within the, the what. Correct. I was gonna. I was gonna say that, but all the thing says was ask app not to track. That's all it says. But what it means is not allowing you to track uh, from app to app. So if I do it on, uh, if I say no on Facebook, Facebook's not allowed to track me over on Amazon. That's kind of the idea, right? Yes. I'm not to my question yet. Okay. <laughs> so my my question is. What makes the ad revenue disappear as a result of that? Is is that company? So I'm selling uh, this. Uh, I'm selling this fine USB C cable, and I want to be able to track Bart across all of these uh, different places so that I can find out whether my ad works. Well, the next day, all of a sudden, none of the services, if somebody's using iOS, can tell me whether the ad worked, but they could still run the ad. Yes. They've got to be choosing not to run the ads because they can't track you. Yes, so people are shifting their ad spend away from online ads to other things. So companies have a finite ad budget, and so they're going to send some of it to online ads, some of it to radio, some of it to television, some of it to... Some of it to Android? No, but Android's starting to do it too, aren't they? Right, so I guess it probably makes more sense for a paid Google search where you still know something, right? You know what they searched for. This is why you're always much better off selling your ad based on the what, not the who, or the where, not the who, right? You right. know, I'm searching for USB cables advertised to me. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, you're searching for USB cable. I have a great hub to sell you. Probably gonna, probably mm-hmm. good. So, right, right. yeah, the idea of tracking ads based on who instead of what and where is suffering. And so, if you're if you're built on the notion that people will want to pay you because you can t- you can target the ad finally. Well, they're not paying you because you can't anymore. Yeah, so it's it's not that they can't track; it's that they're choosing not to buy the ads because they can't track. So that right. sort of tells you that maybe the ads that stay are the ones that didn't depend on tracking you, therefore better ads. Or because the companies, because like Snap is very much an island universe, right? That's what Snap does not have in common. Twitter is the other example that's kind of... I'm surprised Twitter isn't suffering more, but both Google and Facebook have these massive ecosystems. So they just have you in so many places anyway. Whereas Snap is this little island that they don't have that advantage. Yeah. Well, so you're saying just because someone is in Facebook, then they have ads targeted at them... Based from what on, they learn in from what they learn in Facebook and WhatsApp and 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 everything in the Facebook ecosystem. Yeah, With yeah. Google, they're getting it from your maps, your email, your everything. So I would expect Google to be least affected, Sp- Facebook a little bit more affected, Twitter a little bit more, and Snap the most. Yeah, right, right, right. Because there's not much to it. Yeah. The um, 
I, I did want to say I I stopped using Facebook and Instagram, took them off my phones. I haven't officially quit or anything, but I've I've just ignored it for about three weeks now. And what's interesting is Instagram starting to email me going, hey, you know, we're us? still here. Did you did you want to come in? So it's noticed that I'm not there. Of course it has. <laughs> um, when I left Facebook, <laughs> I, I was only on Facebook for three weeks when I realized I'd made a terrible mistake. And it took about six months until they stopped telling me, you could reactivate your account, you know, we haven't deleted it yet. We will soon, though, we promise. <laughs> Go away. Please do. Indeed. Um, very much well, in relation. I'm glad you clarified that for me, because that was, that was a big thing I was trying to figure out is what happened. Yeah. I understood what happened, but not why the ad sales disappeared as a result. Okay, yeah. thanks. And then a related note, Apple were obviously asked about this in their earnings call, and uh, Tim Cook was like, well, our customers are overwhelmingly positive about the change. <laughs> of course they are. Yeah, well, I mean, it's such a funny thing. Do you want Do you want people to be creepy to you? No, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for asking, though. Yeah, exactly. I've been very surprised by who asks and who doesn't. And the ones that make me the crankiest are people who charge me an annual subscription for their pro service mm. and then ask to track me. It's like, oh. I'm paying you. How dare you? I, I forget if I told this two weeks ago, but I, I uh, heard about an iPhone case. It was a fairly expensive leather iPhone case. And I uh, followed the link to go look at it. And it had the uh, the cookie tracking thing and, and it popped up and it showed all the different levels. And it said, you know, strictly necessary and tracking you across other sites. And it said mandatory and you couldn't turn it off. They were, yeah, I did not buy that case, needless to say, but I was like, wait a minute, you're selling me like a $70 leather case and you, want to and you would me. like to track me. Yeah, it's not a free website where I'm reading a cool news story for nothing. No, you're selling expensive stuff and you insist on, tra that is, wow. Wow. Super sleazy. Yeah. I found out later on from somebody that, that they're actually a uh, an advertising company. Like, Who happened to sell stuff yeah. on the side. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's an interesting business model. Uh, speaking of sleazy, uh, we have two bad news stories, <laughs> but I sandwiched a good one on the end. Um, so, actually, no, sorry, we have two: a good one, then a bad one, then a good one on the end. So, first I was going to say sandwiching on the outside. That that doesn't make any sense. No, an open <laughs> face sandwich, I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, the first bit of good news is uh, it's not huge, but last summer Google promised a whole bunch of things to make Google safer for kids. Uh, one of the things they said was that they would be putting in place mechanisms to allow minors to request their photos be removed from Google search. They have now done so. So the mechanisms are huh. in place. So either a Wait, child... they can request it. Will they actually do it? Uh <laughs> <laughs> probably they've laid out the rules and there is a public interest uh, countervailing public interest uh, thingy so they're not promising they will uh -huh. but they're promising to consider it um, uh -oh. we shall see how that pans okay. out in reality I don't know how many kids are public interest I guess some influencers who make millions maybe maybe um, and then we get on to the icky icky one um, so there are quite a few, four according to the register, um, antitrust cases at various points in the legal process in various places throughout the United States. And one of those is the state of Texas suing Google and Facebook for antitrust. And uh, they have amended their case with a whole bunch of shiny new details from emails and stuff, showing really quite a nasty bit of collusion between the two companies. Um, 
The, to me, the most headline-worthy is not the bit that caught the headlines. The bit that caught the headlines was that they were trying to work around Apple's various restrictions over the past couple of years. Um, so that's from third-party Around cookies. the privacy protections? Yeah, this all predates app tracking transparency. This is Apple's lead-up okay. to app tracking transparency, where they started disabling cookies and so forth. Um, okay. But they did collude to try to work around Apple's stuff, which got all the headlines. But to me, what was much bigger is they colluded to rig ad auctions. So they said there's no need to regulate the ad business because we're doing these big auctions, therefore it's all free and everyone gets to play, but Google and Facebook were rigging the auctions. So how exactly could someone who's small play along if Google and Facebook are rigging the auctions? So in what way were they rigging them? Oh, the technical detail made my head explode. The bottom okay. line is people were the, the wrong people were winning the were winning the auctions and Google and Facebook arranged it. Oh wow. I, I did try to read the technical detail because I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> it, it, the, the link is in the register. I didn't succeed. Okay. Um, but the quotes okay. from the emails are pretty damning. They're basically agreeing to rig it. <laughs> Just, you know, flat out saying, let's do this together. Because otherwise we could suffer. Wow. Anyway, good news. I was starting to like Google because Facebook was looking so bad, but now they're in, back in the same umbrella. That's great. Yeah, this, of course, is all old stuff. So you could argue that Google may have turned the new leaf and Facebook may have. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm not sure Google got better as much as Facebook just seems to be going to Hell. down the tubes worse and worse every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know. I did watch their keynote uh, about the metaverse and not the metaverse. Is it the metaverse? What are they calling it? Yeah. No, it is the metaverse. Meta, meta is what they're calling the company. The over, the, it's, the company name is Meta and then underneath it, it has Facebook and Oculus and Instagram and what's, I forget what the fourth one is. The, 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 the ooh, you're right. Messenger, sure. The, the Telegram, not yeah. Telegram. Um, no. Instagram. Oh, WhatsApp. WhatsApp. There we go. There we go. Um, yeah. yeah, they're basically done in an alphabet, right? They've they've taken exactly. the parent company out. Um, but no, the description of what they're describing as an open, you know, an open platform with free and open APIs, it all sounds fantastic. I'm just waiting to see how they mess it up. Well, the thing I've, I, one irony that I thought about that was they said that they were, um, basically they're worried that it's a bunch of old farts on uh, Facebook now and they, they don't have the youngs, the youths. And so they're going to be really trying to make it better, more in engaging for the youths. This is like 11 minutes after they announced that they were dropping Instagram for kids for now. No, they're not. <laughs> they're just, the water's too hot right now. They're just going to wait a little bit and then they're going to do it, right? Yeah, it was interesting when Nick Clegg, former British Deputy Prime Minister, now Facebook's head of covering up, um, sorry, I mean uh, ethics, <laughs> Um, he was like, you know, no, we, we want regulators to get ahead of this. So all the technology isn't ready yet. So now's the time for regulators to get on board. And so we can all move forward together in a happy, shiny universe. So, well, if it works out, great. It sounded amazing in the keynote. But color me skeptical. Exactly. Uh, anyway, I promised you a good news story. So uh, we all know that matter is on the way. Yes, it's been slightly delayed. We should have it now, but we don't have it just yet. But we're hoping to have it in early 2022. R remind people what matter is. So this is the future. This is half of the future of home automation. So we have matter and thread. Those two together will, are going to give us way more secure and more interoperable smart home devices. So we can basically just buy... 
anything from any company, assuming it supports thread slash matter, and they'll all just work together, whether they be S lady, A lady, G person. Uh, my S lady's okay. a guy and, for a start, because the, and anyway. <laughs> and uh, and matter is the one that's more about interoperability, right? And security. And thread is more about trying to mesh devices together so they'll have better range and, and networking working. Yeah, better. so I, I sort of think of it as thread is the hardware and, and uh, matter is the software. Okay. But yes, so the, anyway... So that's what matter is. That's what matter is. And the good news is that Eero's mesh routers are going to get a software update, even the ones that are sold quite some time ago. <gasps> yes, to backport matter support. So that is, that is shiny. Yeah, I, I thought that was very good. Okay, so action alerts. We have no deep dives, I'm afraid, but we do have some action alerts. Um, Apple released security updates for pretty much everything. We have macOS macOS Monterey got to 12.0.1. Big Sur went to 11.6.1. Catalina got uh, security update 21.007. Mojave got nothing. I'm afraid it is... Mm. Well, okay, so we have one, two, three OSs getting updates, which isn't bad. But yeah, it's notably absent. Uh, iPadOS went to 15.1. And as did iOS, and 14.8.1. So this notion of having two supported iOS, iPadOSs, that is continuing. So that's nice. Oh, good. Uh, WatchOS went to 8.1, and TVOS went to 15.1, and Safari went to 15.1. So there was a substantial bug patched in that, which was actually discovered by Microsoft. Um, Their Defender team is actually becoming a bit like... Uh, Google's security team is becoming quite a quite a big part of the security landscape. Um, and they discovered a vulnerability which everyone's making a lot of hay about because, well, so it, it is a privilege escalation bug. It allows root to become super root. So what this basically does is it nullifies uh, system integrity protection, a.k.a. SIP. So this makes the Mac as secure as it was three years ago. Okay. Certainly not what we want. It's certainly not what we want. And it's kind of interesting how it happened, um, which if you want, I can give you a slight little explainer of the big picture of it. There's an excellent article linked in the show notes at Naked Security. They go into it in wonderful detail. But basically, you're supposed to not be able to do some things as root. And there have to be a few pinholes pricked in that protection, because otherwise you could never do a software update, right? If nothing can change your operating system, then how do you get software updates? Well, there's, the pin prick is that a PKG file digitally signed by Apple does get super root privileges. Now, that okay. the PKG format allows for something called a post-install script. And you'll sometimes see those running in your installer. And the post-install script is a shell script. And so if Apple release a an update which needs a post-install script, then the operating system will run that post-install script using the default shell, which is ZSH. Okay. If you start ZSH without telling it otherwise... It will check the operating system, all sorts of special paths for ZSH initialization scripts. And Apple should have set their installer to not run the initialization scripts, just to run the post-installer script, but they forgot. 
which means if you have the root permission to write to slash etc, you can put anything you like in, say, slash etc slash profile, and then Apple's post installer will start ZSH. ZSH will run its own initialization, including your evil malicious code, and then the post installer script. And it will do oh. all of that as the super root user. So Apple just had to add a flag when they shell out to ZSH to not load ZSH's initialization scripts, and then everything is secure, which is what they did. So it's kind of interesting how if you make a pinhole, you have to be really careful what you let through the pinhole. <laughs> yeah. So it, it isn't that hard of a hack. No. But it also wasn't that hard of a fix. Yes, and also it meant you had to be root, and you had to f- you had to wait for your victim. You had to wait for your system to run an installer that had a post init script. So you had to basically... Oh, okay. Now, okay. I'm sure you could find those, right? Just basically go have a poke around Apple software updates page and find something that had one and run it that's signed by Apple. But, you know, there's a fair few hurdles here. But nonetheless, it's a, it's a, it's a egg-on-your-face kind of mistake. But yeah. an easy fix for Apple. And Microsoft found that Microsoft get the credit. They called it Shrootless, S-H, Rootless. <laughs> you know, slightly I funny pun. Uh, so Microsoft found it? Microsoft found it, yeah, because they have their oh, Defender cool. team is really gearing up. They're, they're, that's okay. Like Windows Defender isn't really a software product anymore. It's much more of a software as a service product, and they have a very proactive team looking for issues. So a bit like why Google's is it, Project Zero. I like, why is it, right? Well, I was going to compare it to Project Zero. Why is my reaction? Ooh, that's cool that that Microsoft's helping us. But I don't feel that way when I say, uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with what Google's doing, but I don't have the same reaction. Um, yeah. Just a little. It is interesting, Project isn't it? Project Zero gives you a little creepy feeling just because it's Google. Yeah. It's the difference in business model of the companies. Um, yeah. And in a slightly related note, people may have noticed a new type of software update appearing uh, in their software update on the newest versions of Mac OS. Something called a device software update is now showing up as a regular software update. And the link over on Tidbits explains what this is and why you didn't used to see it and now you do. Okay. Yeah, it's not just on, on Monterey, it's on it was on Big Sur as well, as I recall. Oh good. So I'm glad that's because I saw them I saw one uh maybe a month ago. Hmm. So it used to be that when you plugged in a new iPhone or whatever and your Mac didn't have the drivers for the latest iPhone yet, it would then tell you you needed something and it was a very confusing message. Well, now device support is being proactively pushed down to your Macs so that you don't have to oh, this weird message. Oh, 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 okay. I see the distinction now. Yeah, okay. So it's the fact that these are going to show up in software update. We were getting them before, but getting them at weird times going, what? Why do you not know what my phone is? Exactly. You've had my phone before. Okay. Exactly. Huh. So this is a much better way to do it. Just have it come down in the software update like everything else. So it's a sensible move, basically, which is worth explaining. Uh, in terms of worthy warnings, only one thing crossed my mind, and I don't know how many of our listeners buy diamonds on a regular basis. But if you're in America, because this website only accepts American customers, I went to check it out and I was told to sod off because I was foreign. <laughs> Um, but there's a diamond website called Zales.com, which is also owned by uh, the same parent company as Jared and Kay Jewelers, who were both breached in 2018. And Zales.com has been basically breached in exactly the same way. So if you recently bought an expensive diamond at Zales.com, bear in mind that a lot of your details may have been leaked. And if you're spending that Ooh. much money, that's not a good thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Zales is a huge jewelry chain. Is Okay. I had no like, idea how like catastrophic. In malls and places. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Okay. That is big news then. That explains why Brian Krebs was all over it. Um, in notable news then, um, the, 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 yeah, mostly bad news. Um, the Conti ransomware gang have found yet another way to be evil SOBs. Um, so as well as just ransoming your data and threatening you with publishing it, they are now selling backdoor access into their victim systems as the third revenue stream. So extortion. Sorry. Have we heard of these guys before? Yeah, Conti, Conti are one of the big gangs. I believe Conti were the ones that did the Irish healthcare system. Oh, okay. But they're they're one of the big names. Um yeah, so they, they now have, so they they went on from basic extortion to having a website where they shame their victims um, and they threaten to leak data. If, so they sort of double extort you, right? They extort you to get your data decrypted and then they extort you again so as that they won't publish it. Well, now, if you don't pay up on either of those two extortions, they'll just sell access to your system to any bad guy who wants it. So, <laughs> yay. Well, you know, it's good to have a diverse uh, set of um, products to sell, you know, so <laughs> yeah. that you really, uh, you know, leverage your investments. And, expand uh, your portfolio and uh, synergize. Expand your portfolio. Synergize something or other. Uh, you must be synergizing. It has to be. But it really mm-hmm. is a business, right? I mean, it's it's cybercrime, but it is a business. Uh, the Revil ransomware gang had a bad day, which makes me quite happy. Um, US law enforcement, with a lot of help from overseas law enforcement agencies, basically hacked back and threw them offline. Details are a bit sketchy. We only know about it because an anonymous source told Reuters. So details I'm afraid I don't have for you, but Revil ransomware got hacked back and the US took the lead and a bunch of other countries helped, but they won't even name the other countries that helped. So whoever you are, other countries, thank you. Uh, Interesting. (laughs) Meanwhile, a small bit of good news. Uh, The US have banned the export of hacking tools to authoritarian regimes. So for any American companies who are in that sort of gray hat area, similar to the NSO group in Israel, if you're a US company in that market, you can't sell your tools to authoritarian regimes. So that is positive, I think. Um, the main yeah. reason is because America is afraid of having their own tools used against them, which is not an invalid fear. Quite a, quite a sensible fear, really. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know whether it's actually going to stop it, but if they don't have the law. Well, right, you can't be a grey hat company and, and break export regulations. So it will right. stop something. Right, right. It, won't stop the, it won't stop the cyber criminals. They'll, they'll, they'll do their thing, but it will stop the more legitimate companies. Um, excellent explainers then. I just like plugging Noah a little more whenever they do something cool. And uh, thanks to Windows 11, the world now cares about something called a TPM or a Trusted Platform Module. Uh, so uh, why not have it explained to you in wonderful great detail by Tom Merritt? So uh, about Trusted Platform Modules on Know a Little More. You know, his head's going to get all swole up. I mentioned him twice uh, last show, so (laughs) two of his videos. So, uh, yeah, but no, there isn't anybody to learn from than Tom. I have not heard that one yet. Um, In in another bit of news about TPM, um, one of the problems with trying to emulate Windows on the uh, Apple Silicon has been the fact that it doesn't have a a trusted platform module. And... uh, 
Parallels has actually figured out how to emulate it. Well, so as, as I learned this from instant, Tom, I think it's working. No, but as I learned from Tom, there are different levels of security of TPM, and the lowest level of security is an entirely software TPM, and they can be used for virtual machines, which must be what Parallels are doing, mm-hmm. um, and for testing purposes. So I did not know this. They come in levels of TPMness. Ranging oh, from basically okay. your really, really cool pure hardware implementation right down to your pure software implementation. So I learned, yeah. I learned, I always, I always learn from Tom. Um, yeah. Even when I think I know stuff, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Right, right. Uh, now, I didn't have any palate cleansers, but thankfully you have rode in like the cavalry to save the day. <laughs> I actually have added another one while Ooh. we've been chatting that I forgot about. So uh, yeah, we've got we've got two fun things here. I've managed to botch up the formatting, but I'll fix that before we're done. Um, the first one is David Roth posted in our Slack at podfeed.com slash Slack, a video uh, from someone named Tech Me Out. And uh, in this video, she explains a bunch of hidden features of iOS 15. And I haven't gotten to watch the entire thing, but in her very opening thing, I went, ooh, I didn't know it could do that. So uh, the link is in the show notes to her video on YouTube. Um, the second one was... Apparently, GitHub has a sense of humor. Um, they published had a tweet today that says, "What is DevOps?" And you know those old timey videos or movies where, it, like, from the nineteen fifties, and there's the guy with the pro- pocket protector, mm. or there's the booth babe looking woman who's explaining something. They're explaining DevOps, but they start with explaining what lean is and and all of the buzzwords all the way back in time to forwards. It's very funny. It's very silly, and in the end, it, I think they get there of explain what it is. But it's all to ad- advertise GitHubUniverse.com, and it uh, I got a big kick out of it. I thought it was Ooh. pretty funny. Well, that's two things i got to watch. Thank you. And, and if you missed it here, I posted it in Slack in our Programming by Stealth channel because I figured that's where uh, most of the nerds hang out. So thought that would be the right well, place to go. going to be at least one of those notifications on my Slack icon in the dock then. Because <laughs> I watch the PBS channel and I'm noticing a little badge here on my Slack icon. So I should go and enjoy that later. There you go. All right. Well, that was uh, that was a pretty light week. I think everybody was too busy making fun of Facebook being called meta and uh, and other <laughs> other natural disasters. <laughs> we are recording three days early, so if anything spectacular True. happens between now and Sunday, the now being Friday, uh, but that only explains like 10% of the missing news. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, and hopefully week- nothing too weekend exciting. Weekend news. <laughs> exactly. Okay. The, the worst thing in the world is not a, a uh, having a light security bits week. That's a good week. That is true, isn't it? It's like, um, yeah, yeah. No, we hope that this segment becomes need- unneeded in the future. I doubt it, there you but go. we hope. <laughs> anyway, there you go. regardless of what else happens between now and when people hear this, the advice will always be, remember to stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Did you know that you can email me anytime you want? You can email me at allison at podfeed.com. You could send me your VPN choice. What do you like in your VPN? You can ask questions or give me a suggestion. Just send it on over. I love to get email from you. 
And uh, let's see, I have left Facebook, at least for now. I think I'm at like three or four weeks now, and you know I'm not missing it. And uh, so if you want to follow me online, the best place is Twitter, and you can do that by following me at PodFeed. Better yet, if you want to really engage with the community, join our Slack community at podfeed.com slash Slack, where you can talk to not just me, but all of the other lo- lovely Nocilla castaways. Lots and lots and lots of people have been joining, especially since they heard I left Facebook. I don't know what happened, but uh, people are piling in in there and it's just chatty enough. It's not too chatty. It's just chatty enough. I love it in there. Anyway, remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. You can support the show by going to podfeed.com slash Patreon, like the fine four-year people you heard about this week. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you could do it at podfeed.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show like Bubbly did for the first time in forever, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.